Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Looking for a new fast-paced nail-biting thriller to fill the Dexter and Hannibal-shaped holes in your life? Check out Hangman, a new novel by Jack Heath. Hangman introduces a darkly mesmerizing FBI consultant whose skill at finding criminals comes at a price. Every time he saves a life, he takes one. Hangman is available on Audible and everywhere books are sold. Visit bookclubbish.com to learn more about Hangman by Jack Heath and start reading today. Say sayonara to expensive TV bills. Philo is a simple, powerful app for watching TV. Get access to more than 35 of your favorite entertainment channels like HGTV, MTV, Nick, Discovery, and more as well as live TV on demand and unlimited recording, all for only $16 a month, no contract needed. There's never been a better deal. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number, no credit card needed. Visit go.philo.com slash crime. That's go.philo.com slash crime, or text the word crime to 74456. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism, and this week, the final chapter in one of the finest true crime documentaries ever made. New episodes of The Staircase on Netflix. And we finally hear from the DA in In the Dark, and Laura's head actually pops off of her body. (laughs) Joining me to get into that and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and partner in crime, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I'm just so happy that my head is still attached to my body. I bet you are. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady, and chowder fest loser... Laura Bricker. Oh. Hello, Laura. Hello. I'll save the story for after. (laughs) Okay. And finally, the novelist behind the City Trilogy, our resident naysayer and book club baron, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Well, I just want to uh, give a heads up to our listeners and to the rest of the panel as to what we'll be discussing next week on the program. Let me get my pen. Okay. We'll be discussing something that Kevin has already seen and has been trying to force me to watch for several months, which I started watching when he was away in Canada. And I'm like, why haven't I watched this before? And Kevin was like, oh, what am I telling you? Duh. I told you it was good. We are going to be talking about Flint Town on Netflix, which is a very interesting multi-part uh, documentary series on Netflix. Uh, and I would recommend it highly. 
just from the little bit I've seen so far. Don't give away your review yet. I don't know how I'm going to at the end. I'll okay. say it's good, but it made me infuriated so That's far. What so. Yes. That's what I thought. Perfect. That's what I thought. Perfect. That's surprising. <laughs> we get to keep the Brickner I mean, scale. I never get infuriated, so this is really quite shocking. It's a new um, experience yeah. for me. Oh, yeah. you, <laughs> hey, folks, you definitely want to tune in next time. So, Toby, I'm going to give you a chance right now. Uh, today, as of this recording, we have dropped our latest book club balls deep episode. Uh, balls would, deep dropped. Would you like to just uh, take a second to pitch people <laughs> in becoming Patreon supporters at the $5 level so they can listen to the latest episode of the Balls Deep Book Club podcast? What is it about and who is in it, Toby Ball? Uh, it's about In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you're listening to, to Crime Writers On, I think there's a really good chance that you will think the book is great. It's incredibly well written. It's very interesting. It's sort of, if it's not the beginning of like quality true crime, it's, you know, it's it's one of the seminal works, I guess. Uh, so we had a really good discussion. It was with uh, this dude. Kevin P. Flynn. Mm. Oh, he's good. So good. Yeah. So him in person. So, <laughs> he's sexy. So, so good. And then uh, a lawyer named Julian Gross, who I've actually uh, known since I was born. Wow. Our mothers were pregnant together with us. Mm. And it's in case you were wondering. And then Alex Segura, who is Great you know, one of the hottest yep. sort of detective novelists going right now. That's right. I, I just want to say, Alex Segura's, I'm reading his new book, Blackout, right now. It's yeah. the latest in the Pete Fernandez mystery series, which take place in Miami. Yeah. He does, like, atmosphere and sense of place, like, better than anybody else. So, yeah, way I to get, go, I Alex. To a, I very uh, honored. I got to write a blurb for the first book. Oh, you did? Well, yeah. he hasn't asked oh, you, you back, because now awesome. he has fancy people writing yeah, blurbs exactly. for his <laughs> Yeah, people right. that people know. <laughs> Alex is like, ah, I just start now. So, Toby, you'd recommend that people who are not Patreon supporters, that perhaps they join at the $5 level and support this podcast, just so they can listen to this month's Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast of In Cold Blood by Truman Capote? Yeah, give it a shot. You can listen to it, and there's, there's a couple of others that uh, we did before, so you can get a taste of... Uh, What's on offer every month to our $5 Patreon supporters? What's coming up next month? Coming up next month is a book that I believe you've read called The uh, People Who Eat Darkness. I have read that book. Which is freaking awesome. Our guests, should I tell you who our guests are? Yeah, tell them who the guests are. I don't even know. Okay, so the guests are um, Liberty Hardy, who uh, is on Book Riot, and she's on the podcast all the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan Simpson. Mm. Heard of her. Yep. She's on Undisclosed. And Amber Hunt. I've met all three of those people. That is a good panel. That's a great panel. Yeah. Unlike this so month's it's panel, a- it's all chicks except for Toby. This week's chicks. panel is uh, all dicks, no chicks. Next month's panel. It's, it's, it's a big dude ranch. <laughs> uh, so, Kevin, uh, quickly to you. Uh, you just came back from... Uh, Toronto. Yes. Or Toronto. I think I'm, try, I'm trying to... Toronto. Res- Toronto, as yeah, they say. Yeah, you're not supposed the, to say the second T. Yeah. I had a great time at the uh, the True Crime Film Festival there, and we had, a, we had a symposium, and we had a ton of Crime Writers on fans show really? up. Really? Yes. They were there to see me, but they all wanted to tell me how much they love you. 
Sounds about right. So I'm, this is yeah. <laughs> this is the time where I like I really feel like if I I'm going to forget somebody if I start naming people. Mm. So, but you guys know who you are. There was a whole bunch of people we had. I had a beer with somebody and talked about. I, I had great conversations with folks, and they just gave up part of their Saturday just to come down and hang out with you. Hang out with me for a little bit. I thought it was really great, and hopefully, um, hopefully, we both of us can get up there next year and do some more events. Yeah, out and there's the some community. good. There were some good films that are going to come out into general distribution in the coming months that we are doing on this show. And All it's right. good stuff, I'll tell you. What's, I'll tell you. i tell you. Did you pick up that expression wow. in Toronto? A, cheers, A. <laughs> did you hear any A's? I did hear an A. I went to the the, the, the Blue Jays game. Yeah. And uh, somebody, you know, got a, a, a beer, you know, like, the, you, know, you know how this is, Toby, like the, the vendor's on one end and the guy who's buying it's like way on the other end. So they're right. like shouting back and forth. He had to pass the beers. And so he passed the money over and he like just told the guy he could keep the money. He was like, oh, Cheers, man. Enjoy the game, eh? Ah. I was like, I actually heard of the Perfect. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. congratulations. Wow. Three strikes and you're out. But you didn't see Hillary and David yep. from Love It or List It? I didn't, no. Oh, what a disappointment. <laughs> disappointment. <laughs> uh, and Alara, I, I can't leave you out. I, we don't have okay. anything to promote with you, but I know that you're a giant chowder loser, and I just want to give you a chance to <laughs> tell everybody about loser. that. chowder <laughs> loser. You lost your chowders. I mean, you threw up. No, but I tell you what, it was rigged. It was rigged. Um, <laughs> so... Like Monday, Ken goes, hey, yeah, remember I signed you up for that Chowder Fest nope. today? Oh. I'm like, uh, what? So I'm like, what's the story? He goes, I don't really know. I'm like, so how much chowder am I supposed to make? I don't really know. So I'm like, all right, because um, I don't really make chowder. <laughs> so I was like, fuck. And, and he's got all this like, well, I was thinking we could do like this, like Some fish chowder. and this and that. And I was like, no. I'm like, we don't have that kind of time. I'll do corn chowder. So I look up and I use the Pioneer Woman's recipe because it's no earthly good for you, but everything she makes is very tasty. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I use her like French toast casserole uh, oh, bread yeah, baked that's... recipe on Christmas. It's good. So it had bacon and cheese and I was like how can you go wrong with bacon and cheese so I was like all over this well so then as the day progresses I find out what this is actually about so it's a benefit for the senior center Mm. in the town where Ken works so this is where it was rigged so basically it was me and Ken Ken and I with our chowder on one side and then the police chief and his wife on the other side with their chowder and then the other people there it was all the local like assisted livings that were soliciting new residents so the people next to us I was like this is ridiculous they were handing out like skewers of lobster and shrimp holy cow oh it was on top of the chowder I'm like what is this nonsense? And is that I was supposed like, to make you want to put grandma there. I, but you know what town this is? This is the fancy town where we go on our yeah. summer vacation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yep. well, isn't it? Yeah. So Newburyport was <laughs> yeah. where that place. Uh-huh. I, this was Amesbury. It's not as fancy. Oh, okay. So I was like, oh my god, the skewers. So anyway, we didn't even place. I did try to get some bids. Um, you got you know, dunked on by a bunch of old people. I did. It was so sad. But and the th- sad thing is, the chowder was actually pretty good, even though I don't make chowder. <laughs> well, uh, by the way, I don't think when you go to a cook-off of any kind, you're supposed to just be like pulling Pioneer Woman recipes off the internet. Yeah. I think you're actually supposed to make the thing you make. That's that's how I think it's supposed to go. I like my chili chowder. She's like, I bought some cans of Progresso and dumped it into a pot. I have to tell you, when I found out about this Monday morning, I was very tempted to just go downtown to the Green Bean, which makes awesome soups, and just like buy a bunch of chowder. Yeah. 
and be like, yeah, look at this cheddar I made. Um, <laughs> Last question for me is just, I mean, we're in New England. All the chowder was milk and cream based. It isn't tomato based, right? Um, there was no tomato based, but there was a very a interesting. Nope, there okay. was no clear. There was one that had like split peas in it, which I didn't really understand. That's a bullshit. Um, That's not a that's chowder. Not chowder. And nope. then there was another one that had uh, sweet potatoes and chicken in it. And I nope. was like, yeah. that was also very awesome. That's, that's some sort of well, stew. Listen, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't like make you super sick if you're lactose intolerant, it is not chowder. If it doesn't stick to your ribs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some old lady comes through, she goes, I'm gluten intolerant. And I'm like, Go you're home. in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't have the viscosity of old motor oil, it's not chowder. I guess I'll move back to moose chili, my forte. Uh, <laughs> Which you also lost a contest with. I did. Yeah. By the way, at the $50 Patreon level, Laura will send you her no. chowder. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> we are not licensed for that. This is not the Cowboy Cookie Podcast. We don't do that shit. <laughs> No, it all went down to the fire station the next day, and they appreciated it. All right. Well, Kevin, let's kick off the show this evening. I have one of these for you to read. True Crime Podcast Update. This is a dispatch from The Hollywood Reporter. Tom McCarthy is in talks to direct the feature film adaptation of the popular podcast, S-Town. The movie what? would see McCarthy reteam with Participant Media, the production company behind the Best Picture Oscar winner, Spotlight. Spotlight. Yes. The podcast oh, okay. from Serial This American Life follows an Alabama man named John who contacts host Brian Reed to have him investigate a supposed murder by the son of a wealthy family in his hometown, which he openly despises. The story then delves into John's own backstory, filled with everything from clocks and buried treasure to giant hesmage behind his family home. So I'm just reading the Hollywood Reporter right, story yeah. there. So um, playwright Samuel Hunter will adapt the story. Kevin? S-Town being adapted into a feature film with an Oscar-winning uh, director, a filmmaking team here. Yeah, what, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, do you think the story is going to be about John and the town? I think it's going to be about Brian Reed's adventures getting contacted by John. What do you think? Uh, I, yeah, I, uh, I like you know the idea of, of hearing this, viewing the story through the lens of the reporter, which right. is how S-Town was. Right. You know, I don't see any any need to really, you know, go too far from what was reported. It's like a version of a book adaptation, right? right. It's an interesting. It's a great story. They're basically just adapting it into a movie, a, you know, a dramatized movie. I don't. You, I, nobody's really gotten that far yet, right? right? We, you know, since the podcast the revolution. Podcast. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really. Well, Aaron seen... Mankey is just nominated nominated for an Emmy with Lore, right? Yeah, that's but about... like that's that's a, an adaptation that is straight. It's not. He's not doing the truth. It's, it's not like a first person reported yeah. narrative. Like this is completely different. Right. Right. And it takes nothing away from Aaron, but you know, his what he's telling stories of are legends and whatnot, and and it could be anthologized. But no one's really sort of done like a, a serialized story like a you know dirty john or whatever they haven't really gotten that far yet and we've we've never we haven't seen that on the the big screen we haven't seen it uh, you know gone that far yet so it'll be it'll be interesting i think mean, it's it's obviously a great story yep toby does this make you curious or does it make you go meh you know it seems like one of those things that could go a bunch of different ways like that story you can focus on different aspects of it i'd be interesting to hear like what their kind of angle is mm. What are they trying to get across? Because, you know, part of it could be, you know, being a sort of eccentric gay man in rural Alabama. Mm. Or you could focus more on, you know, his sort of curmudgeonly behavior mm -hmm. or 
you know, shit town corruption that sort of started the whole thing. So it seems like there's a bunch of different ways it could go. I don't think it can go all of the ways. So, you know, I'll be interested to kind of read about it. Mm. I hope it doesn't go that way because there's so much like real great yeah. pathos. I hope it doesn't I go mean, into yeah. like the midnight in the garden of good and evil direction. Uh, I, you mm, know, where it's like all yeah. drawn. I hope it go. I hope it's about the Brian Reed. I hope it's about the Brian Reed journey. What do you think, Laura? Um, see, I was thinking I would I wouldn't mind if it went that direction. Midnight in the good garden of good and evil. Like I think clocks will be like really good visually. Like we mm-hmm. have I, I can already see like clocks and this guy out in the barn working the clocks. I want more gold bullion mm. and I want more about that town clerk and why she was on the phone, why he called her when he was going to kill himself. Right. I, I think I don't know, I, which is what I wanted sort of as the end of the podcast as well. More of the intrigue. I think visually it could be a really interesting adaptation. You know what I want, Kevin? What? That scene that you and I like to reenact when Brian Reed went to Alabama and saw the guy that maybe committed the murder of people. I thought you guys were doing something naughty. I was no. like, what are they doing? What are they doing? No, but the one where- the one where We went in the back of the barber shop and- Yeah, the one where, the one where Brian Reed, the, the scene that we've made up where Brian Reed returns to the Office of This American Life- after going to Alabama and not talking to anyone who had anything to do with the alleged murder. <laughs> so, Ira, yeah, I just came back from Alabama. I, I went down to check out what was going on with this alleged murder story. That's good, Brian. We, sent, we spent a lot of money to send you down to Yeah, yeah, it was really South. great. Thanks for sending so, me. So, uh, what did the murderer have to say? Oh, I didn't talk to the murderer. Really? No. We spent all this money? Yeah, I wasn't really feeling it. I mean, I saw him. It was, I was in the same room as him, but I didn't actually approach him. You, you weren't feeling it? No, I wasn't feeling it. What the fuck, Brian? <laughs> I also didn't go to the police department <laughs> to find out any of the police records. Brian, did you graduate from college? <laughs> yeah. Brian. No. Anyway, Have we obviously newspaper, are huge Brian? fans yeah. of S-Town, but it's a very interesting piece of news. All right. Well, Kevin- Next um, week, let's talk about the casting for that. That should be fun. Ooh, yeah. Well, we know who's not going to be in it. Kevin Spacey is not going to be in it. That's <laughs> No Midnight in the Garden or Good and Evil. He was in that, right? No. No, he wasn't in that. Yes, he was the murderer. Yeah, he was. Oh. Yeah, yeah. he was the eccentric guy that he went down to (laughs) Spoiler alert for a movie that's like 25 years old. (laughs) I cut half of it on HBO. All right, Kevin, um, it's time. Ready? Go ahead, make this one good. The Brichter Scale. That was pretty good. Here we go. <laughs> I feel like it's like WWE when he says that. Like, I feel like I should come out with like, you'd be like, you know, like crazy music dun, or something. Dun, 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 Let's get ready to have a conniption. <laughs> and you have a stroke. And you have a stroke. <laughs> I literally, after listening to this week's in the dark, Kevin was still in bed. I, li- I went for a walk really early in the morning with the dogs at like 5.30. I got home at like 6.15. Kevin's still sleeping. I walk into our bedroom like, wake up, wake up. I'm legitimately worried about Laura Bricker. She might have a stroke today. <laughs> you worried about her health. There were tears in her eyes. She wasn't bullshitting. I was so mad. My hands were shaking. All right. Oh. In this week's installment of In the Dark, Madeline finally shines the spotlight on District Attorney Doug Evans. The team conducts an ambitious data journalism project on his office's use of peremptory strikes on black jurors. And we finally hear from the DA himself, who says a lot of nothing, or at least of nothing good. I told Doug Evans that I talked to a lot of people 
who'd been interviewed by law enforcement in the case. But Doug Evans didn't want to hear what they've told me. Well, they can say whatever they want. Uh, I don't know of anybody that we put on the stand that we didn't have taped statements from. So they can say whatever they want to. And you may twist them or get them to say something that you want them to, but we go by the facts. A lot of folks that have been trying to either make money off of this case or try to stir people up over this case have put a lot of false statements out. And that's one reason that I would never talk about the facts of the case to anybody until it's over. If they want the facts, they can read the transcripts. Do you think that all of your witnesses have told the truth? I'm not going to go into all of that. That's, is that a, that's a pretty basic question, though, right? Well, it's a lot of basic questions, but they get start getting into facts. So this podcast episode is presented in three acts. First, we get the um, integration civil rights story around Doug Evans' hometown and high school. Mm-hmm. Part two, we get the spotlight-style deep-dive data reporting explaining how they did it. And then part three, uh, we finally get this interview with Doug Evans. So I just want to start with part one. I think it's very important. When I was listening to the podcast, I will say I thought this part was long. Mm -hmm. And then later in the episode, I realized, oh, it was actually like really important Mm -hmm. to talk about what was baked into this guy. But I'm curious to know, um, Toby, you talked... I think very you made a very convincing case last week that the justice system in this particular community is basically perpetuating uh, the norms and social order of white supremacy. And then we hear exactly where this man was made, the high school he went to, the town he went to, and what happened there. What did you think of Act One of this podcast episode, Toby? I thought it was really good. When I was listening to it, you know, it's about that town, but that town isn't anything special, mm, you know? Yep. I mean, this stuff was going on all over the South. It's terrifying, the idea that, you know, you'd be sending, like, young kids to school, young African-American kids to school, and they were coming and they were coming out, and there, there are white men waiting for them with axe handles mm-hmm. to beat them. Yep. Again, it's like, okay, well, it's this town, but... You know, this isn't some like notorious town, you know, it's just another town. Right. That the FBI had to go to to investigate these. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, in a kind of, I think, uh, you know, as we talked about last last week, you know, it's indicative of, again, trying to maintain the social order that had existed in some form going back to, you know, plantation days and slavery days. And, uh, you know, through Jim Crow, then there's school integration, which is resisted violently against little kids. And so now that that's been more or less decided, you know, how, how do you continue to maintain some uh, vestige of white supremacy? Mm. And I, you know, it's, it's obviously the court system between keeping people, keeping African-Americans from being jurors and also uh, disproportionate prosecutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the, the voter suppression stuff is, yep. is right in the same way. Yep. And so the idea is in that in these in these places, you know, African-Americans don't have full citizenship. Right. Right. They, they, mm-hmm. they, you know, in theory do, but in actuality, absolutely do not. 
I'm surprised that you thought it went on too long because I thought it was completely. No, I, I when I was listening to it, I thought so. This is just my producer ear. This is not my like taste ear. My producer ear was like. This section is longer than I expected it to be, given that this episode has promised to dig into Doug Evans. Right. And then yeah, I realized I the there was, thing. you thought so too, Laura, that it seemed longer than you expected it to be. Yeah, I thought they, he must have slammed the door on them or something. Right. And then they had to fill a whole episode talking about him. Right. That's what I thought was happening, yeah. too. Um, but, but you're right, Toby, about it not being an extraordinary situation like I think about Kevin remember that episode of This American Life where um, Sashir Zameda the actress who'd been on Saturday Night Live the comedian went to talk to her mom about why she hates white people I, yeah. Yeah. I and, remember, yeah. And basically is because her mother was in this exact situation where she uh-huh. was a little girl sent yeah. to school and it was an integrated school in the South. And like there were white people beating them up and throwing <sighs> bottles at them. And she was just like, my mother made me go to that school because it was like integration. It was supposed to be good. And she was like, I fucking hate white people. And I always will. And yeah. like Sashir was Zameda was like trying to like say to mom, like her mom, like I live in a world where like a lot of white people are fine, and her mom was like, I don't care. I just, <laughs> yeah, man, man. and it was an interesting, but it was another story. And what the mother in that this American Life episode was trying to say was like, this is not unusual, and I can't believe more black people don't just hate white people. Yeah. And I think what I also, you know, another thing I th- I thought about with that and thinking about it being pervasive is just like kind of how radical the idea of Martin Luther King Jr. coming through and saying we've got to meet this with nonviolence, right? You know, you're, you're you're calling on literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are in physical harm's way. Getting their asses kicked, like all the time. To not respond and through sort of a show of moral strength to create change. And that message gets put across a lot. Um, but exactly what it was that people were having to respond to with nonviolence I think isn't as clear and I think I, I think there's certain like stories that, that come up about like you know sitting at the lunch counter and having people dump milkshakes on you or or the Selma um, the Edmund Pettus Bridge but I think even more so it's just these towns mm-hmm. where this awful violence and intimidation especially of children yep. you know Mm-hmm. occurred and and that's and that's really a lot of what the struggle was 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 not these sort of higher profile events but these things that were going on all over the place no the sad thing is it worked yeah most of the the children of color the students of color left left yeah eventually yeah i mean everything the fbi came in they arrested people but i mean if you're gonna get hit with a you know, axe handle and, and clubs when and you're walking like out that. of school. And if your principal is going to let it happen and you're 14 yeah, or younger. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, if you are so if you have so much hate in your heart for another race that you could even do that to a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just this is like a special place in hell for you. Oh, yeah. Well, we won't get into the current climate, but yes. Yeah, no. Uh, just, you are correct, Kevin. Yes. Yeah. I'm you not saying like, it's any better to like, you know, to beat on a guy who's 25 or something like that. Right. But you would think, like, if, you, if you're if you a parent. Well, what do you think you of the section oh, of the podcast? Man. Did you think when you were listening to it, like. It was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought it was very great. I thought it was great. It, it kept my attention. I, and, and you're right. I was kind of guessing ahead, like, oh, well, maybe they didn't get an awful lot of. Of Mr. Evans, and, right. it, and as they're setting it up, it, you know, 
anyway, we'll get to that part. I was I was still convinced that we weren't going to hear a lot from him. Now let's talk about the the spotlight section of the episode, as I like to call it, because if you've seen the movie Spotlight, you know that the spotlight? way they you, figured out you doing Boston now totally spotlight? the way that because that's how that's how they pronounce it in the movie. Oh yeah. Over and over again with Liev Schreiber and Mark Ruffalo. Every time I say spotlight, it's like spotlight. Spotlight. Um, so every the way they figured out the priest molestation scandal, the way they figured out that that pre that priests were just being moved when they molested kids was they In spotlight literally just like went and threw a million books and pieces of paper and then made a Excel spreadsheet database. This was a bigger deal. This was a bigger deal, but it was the same kind of reporting. And I think that it's important for people to realize, like I work in a newsroom that has a lot of data reporting around things like uh, voter alleged completely fake voter fraud around things like policy stuff around Stop. you've never done any. Nobody's ever done anything. like No, this. you haven't. No, but I understand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But they explain what oh, the yeah. scope of the project oh, was. Oh, I have ears. I heard. I was fucking blown away. And today in my newsroom, yeah. um, one of the reporters was like, who was talking about the podcast, was like, I wonder why they didn't just like scan documents on our phone. I'm like, you don't understand. When you ha- Remember, we had this. We've done, I've done that. But yeah, we've that done that before. exact thing. We have to go and do trial transcripts and stuff. And we did one trial. And we had two scanners. And doing that one trial is where the documents took us, what, like six hours? Yeah. Yeah. So well, imagine having months. 400 trials to do. Anybody remember how many pages... Over 100,000. 100,000 pages. Yeah, because it was going to cost them $25,000 right. to yeah. get the copies if they got the copies because it was a quarter per copy. Laura, like me, I mean, I really love when podcasts that are journalism podcasts do the, this is how we did the journalism part. Did you enjoy this part of the podcast? I did. I have to say this part of the podcast absolutely blew me away. It came upon as I was walking towards the Owen Meany house mm-hmm. on my walk around town. Um, but I have to say when this when she was laying out what they were going to have to do to look into how the juries were picked, whether or not they were deliberately striking black people from the juries and and really, you know, find answers to this. I was like, oh, man, that's a lot of work. And then she kept going mm. and explained that they did all that work. Okay, so when Madeline was having what I guess I'll call like the finale of this block, when she was talking to Will, the guy who did all the number crunching and looked for the trends and really analyzed the data after that poor girl went around and scanned and mm. scanned and scanned and scanned like forever. I, I can't even tell you how, I mean, it was just the most masterful piece of journalism in terms of actually finding answers and putting in such a tremendous amount of work. And it was during that point that I said, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, I feel like this podcast for me is kind of surpassing Serial mm. because they are finding answers now. I mean, the, the reporting in this and the level of reporting is just so far ahead of anything else that we've heard. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. The, the straight journalism and the different journalism techniques they're using. They're doing tons of interviews. For Block A, the uh, segregation uh, integrations part, they talked to so many people. They talked to students at the school who were not related to the Curtis Flowers case. They talked to the teacher who had been Doug Evans' teacher, which I loved. <laughs> that he was non-remarkable. How much would you guys, now that we've heard Doug Evans, love Doug Evans to hear the part of the podcast where his teacher said, like, there's nothing about him that stood out. Like, <laughs> he, he was great. unremarkable. Yeah. But I guess anybody could, I guess, do something with their life. Like, yeah. They're using really every type of journalism here. They're doing shoe leather journalism on the street. They're doing yeah. data journalism. They're doing research. They're doing yeah. interviews. So two thoughts from me. Okay, One, if, if this second act, this data journalism block, was all that they did, 
still extraordinary. Yeah. Win all, give him all the awards. That is an extraordinary feat. It's super ambitious. It paid off. It, it was just fantastic. You know, and and you know, it, just to get the data that you know you, you struck jurors, uh, black jurors at four times the rate of 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 white jurors. You know, the one th- one data point I would have liked to have heard is how that translates into convictions too. Yeah. But uh, regardless, it, you know, it's just. To have to go back, you know, do 26 years. Yeah. Um, and I'll, just fascinating. I'll also give huge props to, you know, you've talked about some of the online features that have come with this podcast. They have this week, Will Craft, who's a data reporter, uh, put up a quiz. Why a nearly all white jury might be legal. And there are questions on the quiz where it gives you gives you the bat, bats and background. And then, like, it gives you the scenario. And it was like, you're, you have to answer. This strike was legal. This strike was illegal. Uh. It's so smart. They're showing all the data. Plus, they're making something like interactive out of it which you know as somebody who works in digital journalism well, you know they put a year into this and yes. so it, it, it definitely looks it that. sounds so, like they put more than a year into it and, and so my, my second thought and maybe this is how we transition into the last part of that podcast episode is that they said that they had this um this encounter with doug evans in april mm. And they've been doing this for months and months and months to me that tells me that, they don't strategic, have that yet. no it tells me strategically that was the last thing they wanted to get. Yes, but they didn't ask him about it, which is interesting. No, no, but I mean, we'll get to that. But but I mean, of all the interviews that they set up, the last, the grand, it sounds to me like the grand finale of this is what we need to get to put this together. Right. Is now we have to go to Doug Evans. Well, there wanted, isn't something to do the next day. I but kinda, put it together. I kind of think that what they wanted to do because, was if yeah. they got to sit down with him for two hours, say. Yeah. They wanted to be able to go over everything they had with him mm-hmm, because sure. that's good journalism. Yep. And this is the thing that, like, I think that you know people who don't work in journalism might not know is when. You are building a case against somebody, which this Mm -hmm. podcast is doing. It is your journalistic responsibility to interview or try to interview the person that you are building the case against to get their side, their take, Mm -hmm. their response. You can tell that they wanted to go to him with everything. So now let's talk about them actually going to him, shall we? Uh, Scene setting. Uh, (laughs) We're going to go to Laura in a second because I know when she starts, it's going to be a whole thing. Yeah. Kevin, what do you think about the scene setting where she walks into the office and they did the whole scene where they described the carpet, the furniture, the layout of the office? Like, why do you think they did that? Uh, I don't know if this is why, but it built so so much suspense yeah. for me. I'm just thinking they're not they're saying this because they're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. To me, they were doing. Even when they talk about the guy came out with the with the form. Like, yeah. It's over. It's over. You're not going to get another damn thing. Yeah. Um, it's going to be Amber Hunt chasing right. a guy in a hallway. I mean, you, I really felt, and I don't know if this is everybody else, if all the listeners got this, but me as a former journalist, it, it was very Pavlovian. It's like this is going to collapse in any second now. Yeah. So there was just this terror from me, like, get more, get more, get more, get as much as you can. Yeah. People were on Facebook uh, asking us or sending us emails like, why didn't she'd go and ask him about that data thing you know she knew she only had some it's you know you're triaging you know that maybe you've got one more question yeah and you decide what is the most important thing to get or is this more important than that if you could do all of it you would ask it but but regardless i thought that she she got enough to you know make the case that she's making one of the things i loved about the scene setting the walking in describing the shabby carpet the crappy furniture the terrible lighting all that stuff it brought him down to a level because he's been built up in this podcast as like this boogeyman you know he is Uh like the he's the villain he is the as somebody on Facebook astutely said and as you and I talked about in our own lives he's the Javert of this story right Mm -hmm. he is the determined chaser of this innocent likely guy who just wants him to die and um and so I think walking into his office and talking about the stains in the carpet and the shabbiness of the furniture 
it's like, okay, Doug Evans is a real person who works in kind of a shitty office. That's actually, in a way, sort of like a reality check and kind of comforting to as an audience member. Mm-hmm. But like you, I thought they were stalling. Um, and then Doug Evans walks out, and we get about 11, 12-ish minutes of Doug Evans. Uh, Laura Bricker, I'm just going to let you uh, let it rip. What do you think of this part of the podcast? <laughs> I just hate him. Oh, oh. Wait, 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 let me get my popcorn. <laughs> oh, okay. No, you know what? I'm not going to launch like a, I was I was angrier at the jury episode, I think, with the old guy that was getting berated by the judge. But what made me so angry about Doug Evans and listening to this, it was more like I just became so discouraged and disheartened that in 2018, people think this is okay mm. in his home district. And I and I feel bad because our friends in Mississippi that listen to us are upset that I was like trashing on Mississippi. And it's not, it's just, I'm just so discouraged that this guy is like just running rampant with all his racism and all of his nonsense. And, and he sounds so fucking creepy when you listen to him talk. Like he's like, a, like almost like the little lady guy that with Amber Hunt, but, but creepier. He's mm. just... He seems like, honestly, he doesn't give a shit at all. Like, right. because he is untouchable and he knows it and he doesn't care what he does because nothing is going to happen to him. And that's what comes through in his voice while he's talking to Madeline. Like, he could give a fuck. Like, I mean, honestly, I don't know if anyone felt like that listening to him, but I was like, he he doesn't give a shit about any of this because there is no accountability for him because the people just keep re-electing him. I'm like, please, somebody in Mississippi who lives in that district, please go run against him. I will come and help you. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was really discouraging to listen to that he wouldn't talk about the case. He's like, until it's done, it's done. I'm like, this case, like, how long has this case been going on? That's that's a bullshit answer. Not actually. I mean, he's yeah. using well, I know, that. No, I know. But it, yeah. it is. It is. You really because honestly, but... yeah. The reason it was a bullshit answer, Kevin, was because he said he wouldn't talk about the case, but then he talked about the case. He just so kept talking. Was, that's why it was a bullshit answer. It wouldn't be a bullshit answer if he said, I can't talk about it because it's ongoing. But you can't say, I can't talk about it because it's ongoing. And then when Madeline says, what about Cookie who recanted, say. She drew him into that. That's not on him. Yes, that's, yeah. that's, that's her But he skill. has to decide. I'm either talking about it or I'm not. When he did talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about he it. He accused people of committing yeah, crimes. That, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. The jurors who lied to get on the jury, I was just like, oh, my God. And then he was li- like, what does he also accuse the, the defense? Illegal activities. All those jurors voted to convict. All those jurors who lied on the jury. He's talking about black people. Oh, I know that. Of course he is. Yeah. Right. Toby, um, I have a question for you. So we have been, I think, given this portrait of Doug Evans throughout this podcast as being a very, what I like to call, slappable man. What were your impressions of this guy? Yeah. So I think think there's a, a, a few things going on with it. I think there's a general like kind of smugness to him, like a like dealing with a woman who's asking him questions. B, the woman is northern. Mm. You guys and your and your journalism, we don't have that here. Stirring stuff up. You know, I don't think it's necessarily that. You know, we don't have journalism because I mean, there's plenty of. Of, he said that. Of, like, he said the reporters here don't get in our business. They don't mess things up for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. he did say that. Right. And she was, I, I guess she I was thinking. I was thinking more sort of generally, generally sort of you know the idea that that uh, Northerners are going to come here and tell us how to do our business. Yeah, there was that that aspect to it. But again, you know, he he represents. I think they talked about him. Am I remembering this right? Like either talking to or being a member of like the Conservative Citizens Council. Yeah, he, he went to that crazy um, uh, event. Yeah. What was it called? Black Hawk? Event. 
Oh my god! Right, where they where they, where they bring oh, in the black the, guys from the prison to sing barbershop quartet? No, no, and the people love it. We have diversity at this event because we bring in black people from the prison to entertain right. us like a fucking minstrel show. Yeah. It yeah, was the most it, it, insane quote I've ever heard somebody give on tape. I'm not going to lie. That was even more insane to me than half the stuff that Doug Evans said. It was deplorable. Fucking deplorable. It's a grotesquery. You know, but that, that that's what he represents. Yeah. You know, those are his people. That's his culture that he is trying to preserve. He's not changing either. The, the whole conservative citizens things. I think that's what got Bob Livingston. Yep. Right. When he was like Speaker of the House for like 15 minutes. It was for his association with a group like that. You know what was really striking to me today is that I was listening to the uh, Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast, and you were talking about how in Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, um, the the characters in this small Kansas town where the clutters were murdered, the real people, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a concern that they wouldn't, uh, they were really sympathetic toward the killers because they were very anti-death penalty because it wasn't a Christian value. It was a Christian value to sort of like give them the benefit of the doubt to treat them with humanity even mm-hmm. though they had committed this horrible crime and it made me think about how the word christian has really been twisted and christian is now code for something else in the modern lexicon and in stories like this and in stories like in charlottesville and all these other stories that we've seen that have like these very racially charged themes christian is code for white it's been we, co-opted we yeah. heard we heard at the beginning of this of this episode with the christ the very it was a very christian business like you know what that means it means it was run, run by white people who like you know it's like it's like it, that's what it is now and it, it's like the, it's striking the difference even though you can say, like, in the 50s and 60s, it was, like, so much worse, you know, beating little kids with axe handles. But Christian meant Christian. <laughs> it meant something else. Yeah, yeah. And still um, those to some people. But some people have co-opted that term yeah. and use it as sort of a uh, what we want is 1950s. So, Kevin, Doug Evans. Yeah. This is my poll question for you. I asked this mm-hmm. on Facebook today. Uh, oh. <laughs> the worst person. Uh-huh. The worst person ever. Or I can't even with fucking Doug Evans. I can't even with fucking Doug Evans. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. not the worst person there. I mean, you've, you've got Hitler. Okay. And then below that, I think, is um, Cookie. But, uh, you know, it's, it's yeah. I think pro- Cookie is up there, too. He's probably up there, too. I don't too. think we should be I ranking I mean, Doug didn't actually kill But can we just agree that, like, no, Doug Evans is trying to kill somebody. Doug Evans oh, this is true. had yeah. all these yeah, death sorry. penalty yeah. cases built right. on nothing. I'm walking Doug that one back. Evans yeah. actually tries to kill people. Like, yeah. let's be clear about it. Yeah, I can't even with Doug Evans. Doug Evans is, is so bad. He just... Uh, we just need to do something to like turn his frown upside down. Yeah. So I think we should send him a box from FabFitFun. I don't think we should. <laughs> I think we should send it to us for having to listen to Doug Evans. I know, but just yeah. imagine what the how we could change things in the world for the better if only that DA got his FabFitFun <laughs> summer box. Let's not send that to him. I'd Let's... love to see that dude do aerobics. <laughs> do aerobics. <laughs> All right, we'll not send it to him, but... We all like the Fab Fit Fun uh, box, and the summer box is out. Remember, Fab Fit Fun, they sent you like a box of full sized fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness wellness products. Never like sample size stuff. You get real this, stuff. You get a real big, it's nice basically box. A big yeah. gift box full of awesome gifts. That you get for yourself. Right. Yeah, you know, sometimes there's books. It's a self care product. Yeah, yeah. It comes to you f- uh, four times a year. If you have a rage stroke from listening to In the Dark, <laughs> yeah. it would be a perfect day <laughs> to open your Fab Fit Fun box. Yeah, m- perhaps there's some uh, bubble bath or something. There's, obviously, there's always some great stuff in there. This um, box that's coming out right now, the summer box, it, it includes the Foreo Luna Fofo. Yes, your favorite word to pronounce. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's the Kofefe of this podcast. <laughs> uh, it's, it's actually a facial cleansing brush. Yep, 
and it retails for like 89 bucks. So yeah. like for your 49.98, you're always I mean you're already playing with house money here. So it's it's a great box and and it just gets sent right to your door. Rebecca, you got a, a FabFitFun box. Wasn't it it was amazing. It was open it up, full feel of the stuff. amazing. It was, it was like opening a gift. Like I paid so little for it, and there were so many amazing, full-size, beautiful gifts inside. Stuff I'm still enjoying to this day. So sign up for Fab Fit Fun today to get your summer box. The Fab Fit Fun summer box is in limited supply, and these boxes always sell out. So go to fabfitfun.com and sign up, and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code CRIME, crime. to get ten dollars off your first box. That's over $200 of goods for only $39.99. Go to FabFitFun.com and use code CRIME, CRIME. to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. What else you got, Kevin? Well, I know that you think this migraine is coming on because of everything you've heard out of District Attorney Doug Evans' mouth. His stupid mouth. You know, all that, that strain, your, your eyes like getting dry and uh, the, the headaches you have. But it may not be rage, it just may be digital eye strain. Oh, it could be. That's right, which is why you need Felix Grey computer glasses. Mm. They help you do the things that you love. Felix Grey's lenses are specially designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from screens, which are the two main culprits behind digital eye strain. I use them. I'm at work. I'm on a computer all day long, whether it's doing my actual job or screwing off putting together the, the scripts for these podcasts. I am <laughs> <laughs> all the podcasts that we do. Uh, I'm looking at a screen all the time. And for, it's, it's just to a, be clear, you only do that during your lunch hour. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm confessing to just at my lunch hour. However, my eyes are on a screen all day long. Yeah. And uh, this really helps with that. Everyone can benefit from wearing a pair of Felix Grays, and there is no prescription necessary. And all orders ship free with free returns, so you've really got nothing to lose. You go to Felix Gray Glasses, and that's Gray G R A Y. Felix Gray slash crime. Crime. And try a pair of Felix Gray Glasses today. That's Felix Gray slash crime. Moving on. The landmark 2004 true crime documentary, The Staircase stands as one of the all-time greats. It follows the case of novelist Michael Peterson accused of murdering his wife Kathleen by striking her in the stairs of their home. French filmmaker Jean-Xavier de Lestrade had unprecedented access to Peterson and his defense team as they fought for his innocence. The nine-part series got a tenth installment in 2012 when Peterson's conviction was overturned. Now Netflix is airing three new episodes following Peterson as he prepares to be retried for a crime he insists was an accident. Well, that simply is not true. Mr. Peterson was bisexual. I understand you want to pump the ratings, but give me a break. I don't think the DA cares about truth anymore. This has become a show. The back of the head was struck three times. Dwayne Deaver had a pattern of preparing misleading expert reports. Scientists are not supposed to take sides. The murder case against Michael Peterson doesn't just involve his wife anymore. It involves a friend who died 18 years ago. At the bottom of a staircase. Okay, well, you guys got a much better film now. Now, we are going to be giving away spoilers about these final episodes of The Staircase and the series as a whole. So if you would like to jump ahead to our spoiler-free review, just fast forward to the time code in the show notes. Now, we talked about the original series, The Staircase, with the supplemental episodes that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, what, two years ago we talked about that on the show? I think, yes, yeah, since the And we didn't have our yeah. thumbs up or thumbs down. Then. I think we did, like, 
at letter grades then, and we all agreed it was. Well, I don't think staircase was ever was it staircase staircase ever a main topic. I mean, yeah. we just talked about we've yeah. talked about it. No, so we much. talked about it. Was. Was it? Okay. I remember yeah. back talking in the day, way back in like 2014, yeah. Yeah. we talked about it. Well, yeah. if we had to do the right now, the first part, guys, right? Everybody's a thumbs up on original staircase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were. It, it's yeah. it's the access. I mean, we, we love everything okay. about it pretty much. Um, thumbs up. You know, okay, we, thanks, Toby. One of the things that I want to talk about because I do think that David Rudolph, Michael Peterson's lawyer, who I am still in love with after all of these years <laughs> as somebody's pointed out on twitter he kind of is the original dean strang as far as like sexy knowledgeable helpful lawyers goes uh-huh. not quite as cuddly but he's pretty great michael peterson looks like shit yeah he has gotten yeah. so old in a way that so the, old and especially when you compare him to david rudolph his lawyer who looks exactly the same They've both got weird hair color. Did you notice that? Like, I never noticed that kind of stuff. And it seemed to put both of them was kind of stark. I think it's the anyway, 4K. Yeah. I, I did see somebody t- tweeted to me, like, if only Peterson would lay off the just for men, it would be. <laughs> yeah. It would be fine. But, Laura, you you sent me a note and told me yeah. that, that that really stood out to you, just how much he's aged and how beaten down he looks. Yeah, because he really looked pretty beaten down. I mean, he just like he's like frail and his face is kind of sunken. And then after I finished the new episodes, I went back and rewatched the first episode. I could not believe the difference in him. Yeah. I mean, it was like just it was astounding. Yeah. You know, the stress and the years and everything that he's gone through. I mean, he just looked awful. Yeah. And he's having a hard time getting around. Like he's not that mobile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's really it's it's really something. Um. I don't want to like dwell on this too much. I just think it's commonly something that we've all commented on amongst ourselves. This is three episode little mini series. First two episodes were slow as hell. Does everyone agree? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I fell asleep twice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Toby, do you agree that. the first two episodes of these three episodes were slow? Uh, yeah, slow is putting it mildly. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of exposition, and it was basically the first two episodes were him contemplating whether or not he should take this Alfred plea, kind of going back and forth. Every not time, being offered one. Not being offered one, but yeah. every single, and there was a new um, DA who was mm-hmm. elected. Every single time I heard David Rudolph was on the phone, I would like grab my popcorn excitedly thinking something's going to happen. And then David Rudolph, I think one of the more interesting that happens in the first two episodes is that David Rudolph leaves the case. Michael Peterson feels abandoned. Kevin, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I as as a viewer, I was like, oh, please come back because we have so much invested in you emotionally already in this documentary, especially Rebecca, especially Rebecca. Gosh, you you do wonder whether or not that the, that crew is there twenty four hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, or if they just come. You know, you need to be there Thursday because I'm calling him about something. Right. It's almost like Property Brothers where. We're here having an ice cream cone. Oh, uh, it's uh, it's the Property Brothers telling me we got the uh, the house. It's kind of the same yeah. thing, you know. So yeah, but I'm glad in the end that he was able uh, to represent Peterson in court for the for the, Alfred the for the end. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I want to talk about because I think it was a big theme in the first series of episodes, and one of the reasons why you know for our listeners who are listening to this and maybe haven't delved into the series yet, the reason I love it so much, especially the original episodes, is that after each episode, as a viewer, you are thinking maybe he's guilty, maybe he's innocent, maybe he's guilty, maybe he's innocent. And a huge part of that is that he's just kind of unlikable in a weird way. Yeah, like He likes mm-hmm. the sound of his own voice. He's peculiar. He likes to talk about himself a lot. In the original s- series, he didn't talk an awful lot about Kathleen. 
He did. I mean, he did, but he never really got emotional. You know, you never really got the sense that he really. No, he did. I went back and watched some of it. He has not changed in this is this is a big part of it. Yeah. Toby, what do you think of him as a character? I mean, he he does love really appears to me anyway to love the sound of his own voice. Do you pick that up, too? I I don't know how you can have a different opinion. I mean, he just <laughs> he talks at length about like mundane things that he thinks. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, four podcasters throwing stones about mundane things that we like to talk about. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm not I, you know I I kind of feel like I, I don't know I didn't find him that interesting. Mm. Like I kind of felt like for the stuff that was worth listening to, this really should have been one episode or maybe two. Possibly two, but it would have been two boring episodes instead of three just like deadly boring episodes. But You thought episode three was boring? Please tell me you didn't think episode three was boring. I think in the entire like two and a half hours, I think there was probably about half an hour's worth of stuff that was like genuinely interesting. And most of that happened on the last episode. Mm-hmm. But again, I thought it was just stuffed with, I mean, I thought most of the stuff was filler it's like these the extended like conversations with his daughter yeah. on the couch. Yep. Like why why would I want to listen to this? What light is this shining on the story? Well, I have a theory about that. And we got an email from a listener named Samantha who actually floated a theory about that. And she sent a very long email and I'm just going to read you an excerpt. She said I felt, and this may change on repeated viewings, that the newest episodes had shifted focus from the original points of injustice of the system and how even a rich white man can have the cards stacked against him and also the general mystery and convolutedness of Kathleen's death and Michael Peterson with, as a character with secrets. These episodes highlighted the family dynamics after going through prolonged tragedy and the bonds and beliefs that had strengthened or been reinforced from this experience. Brevity isn't my strong suit, but I'll leave my observations here for now. She also, by the way, mentioned uh, Kathleen Peterson's family and how they had evolved and their Mm -hmm. dynamic. Um, Then she says, I would love to know what the CWO team feels about the family dynamic tone and shift of the new episodes and how the pathos, emotional moments, and how they're used to wrap up a long-term and ongoing narrative. Toby sounds like you did not want that. You don't want to watch him have long conversations with his daughter on the couch. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Maybe I need to go back and watch the first 10 episodes again. But that relationship was always kind of weird, Mm. given that the daughters are actually not his biological daughters and sort of the story behind them sort of becoming his adopted daughters. You know, it's not like tremendously weird, but it's a little odd. Mm. And the the scenes just went on and on and on. They did. No, I don't disagree. My God. I, I kept waiting for the payoff. I'm like, okay, so when is somebody going to say something like kind of profound or when is something going to happen that makes it worth watching all this? And it just never did. You just, you're just like, well, you know, these people are just like really supportive and they really want to talk things through and they have a little bit of a different opinion about what he should do. But in fact, they basically agree for the most part on everything and they're all really supportive. Right. And I, I think that in the, the original end. series – the relationship with the daughters was used by the documentarians as proof of his potential innocence because the idea was why would these children, if he had a secret side, if he was actually at home like a horrible person, would his kids stand by him so strongly? But he did have a secret side. I mean, they stood by him anyway, but he had a secret side. I mean, it was exposed. Yes, but he wasn't mean to them. But it raised the emotional stakes right. in the original. So, so Samantha actually hits it. Like, And the thing that like is the secret sauce in the original staircase is the whole Kafka-esque issue about I'm innocent but like I can't I can't get out of this 
judicial machine. And the access, we have to talk about it, you know, the, the, the intimate access that you've never seen anywhere else. Right, right. Inside a defense team. And all that was, you know, what the many made scenes it, filmed in front of the bloody staircase at his dining yeah, room table. I mean, what made, <laughs> it's fucking bananas. I mean, what made it really, I mean, uh, Peterson is an interesting character, but what made Boring it really man. fantastic interesting it was. Character. What? Boring man, but interesting but, character. No, yeah, interesting character. But the whole thing was the inside look at this case, and the there were some twists and turns in the case. And if you didn't follow it on court TV, you didn't know how it ended. And I didn't know how it ended. And I'd never been so invested in in hoping and hoping and hoping that this guy gets acquitted. And when he doesn't, it was such a gut punch because they had built it so great. And all of that drama is no longer there. Right. Because... Yeah. Even though, yeah, he's still at you know legal peril because they could retry him or whatever. The stakes are not the same, or at least you know the drama isn't built the same way. It's really just an interesting coda to where this goes. But unless you're going to start talking about owls, you're really not bringing anything. They new. didn't We're talk talking. about owls. There was they, one passing remark. Uh, yes, I know. Which is so disappointing because David Rudolph has talked about the owl theory in other interviews and how he thinks that's really interesting and how he could have used it at trial potentially. And a lot of people have talked about the owl theory who were involved with this case and it does not come up here and that was supremely disappointing to me well you know why the documentarian said that he didn't want to put anything in that wasn't in the trial right right so even though there is that passing mention sort of a wink to the the rest of the uh, the crowd i mean we so can we it's a great thing to talk about but it's not part of this through the boring family stuff which i think we all agree is boring and talk about too late final (laughs) that final uh, alfred plea hearing which is the climax of these three episodes, and I can make a strong argument for should have been the bulk of the content of them. I think this whole thing, like Toby said, I think it could have been, two, I don't agree, it could have been one, I think it could have been two. I think it could have been him contemplating and maybe some of the family stuff, and then episode two could have been just this hearing. Laura, first off, knowing what you know, and let's not talk about the judge yet, but knowing yes. what you know about the case, do you understand why he accepted this Alfred plea? Yes. Okay, so you agree that he should have just done it to get it over with? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, roll the dice, go through some more just heartache for your entire family and stress and agony and money, which he has no more of, or get it over with, right? be done. Right. You know, I mean, and, and I've been involved in cases where, you know, that's you have conversations with people and it's like, you know, you can take the chance or you can just have this done today. And, and in some cases, it's better to just have it over with. And I think this case, I mean, it's been dragging on forever. You know, he's 73, and you got to ask, like, yeah. honestly, how many more good years do you have in your life? But you still you know? see those and little sparks of hope he has, like when David Rudolph walks in at the beginning of the Alfred plea hearing and says, you're not going to believe what the fuck yeah. I just found out about the stupid blowpoke. Yeah, I know. And, and that's, you know, part and of that's pride and honor Peterson and all this thinking, other stuff. Like, yeah. But look, it, he shares this with this with Edan Syed. It doesn't really matter in the end what the courts say. If you walk out, I have my good name or whatever. You're a celebrity in this sense, and people have made up their mind whether you're guilty or whether you're innocent. And it, it, in a way, it doesn't matter whether you come out with, I'm partly guilty, I'm acquitted. People are just going to believe that. In the end, the pragmatic thing is, do you want to be home or do you want to go to trial again? Okay, so now I want to talk about something that I'm sure will divide our listeners. Yeah, all right. <laughs> and I know, and I think will divide us. And I just want to say, can I make a caveat beforehand? I don't like doing that thing where I apologize in advance for something I'm about to say. 
but I'm going to do that right now. Oh, this is going to be good. I don't think it's cool to, you know, shit on people who are relatives of dead people in these situations. Obviously, victims' families, I think they are very often, even though I think the, quote, victims' rights movement is actually uh, in many ways fed by bad justice practices of prosecutors, like the Curtis Flowers case is a great example. Someone like Doug Evans will cite the victims' family, victims' family, victims' family as an excuse to behave badly. That is extremely common. And anybody who's listening who thinks I'm wrong, look it up. It's extremely common and it's actually a lot of what the impetus is behind this victims' rights movement. That being said, I do think that families of victims are sympathetic characters who deserve to be treated with respect and sympathy. Now I'm going to say what I'm going to (laughs) say. Kathleen Peterson's sister is fucking bananas. And when she (laughs) gave, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and drop the tape right here. Now, David Rudolph. You wanted Michael Peterson to appear to be the victim. You went out of your way to never say my sister's name. As a matter of fact, in opening arguments, you call her Catherine, not Kathleen. Rudolph, pick up Kathleen's clothes with bare hands, real good technique there, in front of the jury. He handled them, he threw her clothes on side tables. You would stare down witnesses, you would try and stare me down, you would try and threaten me, you would loudly rant in the courtroom to the point a juror actually put his fingers in his ears to drown you out. I was, and I still am, astonished and bewildered that Michael Peterson and David Rudolph spent so much time, thought, energy, to focus on me. I actually think David Rudolph and Michael Peterson believe I have some supernatural power, or maybe I'm the all-powerful Wizard of Oz. Both of you tried to shut me down, or shut my effing mouth, as you said, Michael. But you know what? It didn't matter. Jury focused on the crime scene pictures. Kathleen's blood washed and splattered all over the staircase walls. Kathleen's blood splattered up inside your shorts that you wore that night. They also focused on just her battered, beaten body. Lastly, Michael Peterson. The words Alfred plea, they're meaningless. Alfred Schmalford means nothing. Guilt. She gave an impassioned plea to the judge that went on for a very long time. I just put a small excerpt of it. And it was, I think, fucking bananas in a way that really made me question what kind of relationship maybe she had with the prosecution and the sort of like self-fulfilling prophecy. Because she sounded like Doug Evans a little bit in this. Maybe it's because I had like mixed it up. It's like she had scores to settle, not just with Michael, but with yeah. the attorney and with the staircase. The, the staircase. Yes. Well, it sound yeah. like that they were, didn't they follow her and her sister to yes. the cemetery. Yes. So to act like, oh, we were we were assaulted by this documentary. It's they like, were participating. Part, yeah. And then, but the, she acted. She said she was a victim without their consent. She was a victim yeah, that, of the documentary. Bullshit. It is total yeah. bullshit. Um, and uh, also, uh, and uh, oh, hold uh, it, in. Toby. We're oh, gonna yeah. give you a second. <laughs> Just hold it. Just hold it. Ladies have the floor. Uh-huh. Lara Bricker, um, you also had ish- took issue. With uh, Kathleen's sister, Candace, in this situation, right? Yeah, I was watching it because you had given me a heads up. I hadn't gotten there yet. And I was like, okay, I'm I'm ready. Rebecca has, you know. And then she just launched. And I have never, I I have covered trials as a newspaper reporter. I have been in trials as a defense investigator. I have never seen somebody launch in that manner making a victim impact statement yeah. ever. I mean, it was like just the level of vitriol 
that came out of her mouth and, and the way that she just like went crazy. I don't think it was effective. I felt like listening to that, it was not effective Alfred in terms Alfred. of generating sympathy for what she had gone through and what her family had gone through and you know her sister's death and everything it just came across like she's you know was a crazy person yeah. and it it just didn't communicate effectively in terms of how this it, maybe it did maybe it did communicate effectively because it clearly had sent her off the rails but just i understand making a victim impact statement but i also when you get that personal and that nasty during a statement, I don't know. Is that necessary? Well, it, it's certainly not honoring the memory of her dead relative. What, I mean, yeah. it, that's not what it was about to me watching it. It was about something else. It was about what she has to me, what she has made of this in the passing years and, and, and the and the the ghosts she has created around it because Kathleen's other sister gave an effective moving yes. victim impact mm-hmm. statement. She didn't agree with the plea. She didn't think there was justice. That's to me like in the scale of this fine. All right, Toby, go ahead. Launch with us with your defense of, of Candace, Kathleen's Ellen's sister in this situation. Go ahead. So I think there's, I think there's a few uh, points to make, but one is, you know, and, and we've talked about this before. It's like if you're if you're accused of a crime or you're convicted, like having somebody make a documentary or a podcast about you is like a pretty effective way to advance your case. If you come from the from the standpoint that she's convinced that Michael Peterson is guilty, I can see where she has hard feelings just in general towards the documentary without even getting into the whole thing where she's really portrayed at times as a villain in the documentary, as certainly the person who's trying to keep Michael Peterson, you know, on the hook for the crime. And that's a strange choice, I think. The other time that I think that's that's really come up was in the uh, Making a Murderer where, you know, the, the woman who dies – they find Teresa on, uh, Hallback. The Avery, yeah, Teresa Hallback's brother comes off as being a bad guy because he's so certain and vociferous in going after Avery. And you are put in in both these documentaries in the position where you are granted a ton of access to the defense. So you you you've identified with them. You're talking to the lawyer who believes in them. You're talking to the defendant themselves. That's where your emotional investment is. Like I'm not sure how down the line I think they 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 play this whole thing. I think I think it's a pretty easy to suspect that there's bias in the way it was put together. And I think you know the fact that. I can't remember what what part she played in the production, but that one of the women had an affair the with editor. Michael Peterson. The editor had a long term wasn't an affair; it was a long term long term relationship. Yeah. All right. Well, that's even worse. So I think that that calls into question. But I, I again, I it's it's easy for me to take a look at that woman and and think for 15 years she's basically had to put up with this guy who she thinks murdered her sister to be portrayed as being super sympathetic and then to have her portrayed as a person who is absolutely no question about it, innocent and has lost her sister 
as somehow a malign figure uh, to me, like feeling that like you're hard done by, by that it, it's not hard for me to put myself into that position. I don't think um, Michael Peterson is, is shown as sympathetic in the original staircase at all. I think they actually do a very good job of showing that he might not be. Well, Kevin just said that he never felt like he was waiting for the, for the decision. Kevin's remembering like that punch. in the whole in retrospect. But when we were watching that documentary together, every single episode, Kevin and I are both like, oh, he totally fucking did it. Oh, no, didn't he didn't do that. it. No, it, during, the, during the actual original watching of it episode to episode, you and I were both on the no, fence. No, I reserved times. judgment. No, no, in fact, this was my takeaway from that one. Is And this, is, this really changed a lot for me in my perspective that it is way more emotionally draining to, instead of... Praying that the bad guy gets convicted, it's more emotionally draining. Hoping that the innocent guy doesn't get convicted, right. and, I've ne- and I've never felt that way before. And this was super effective at yes, that. Yes, because I think by the last few episodes, we thought that he was innocent. Yeah, and a lot of it had to do with the gay panic stuff that was happening in those episodes. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, yeah. where we saw him being maligned for being bisexual, and we saw how that played in the prosecution, and we saw how that Candace. He like talked to the prosecutor and then also sort of got on this thing where if he could be gay, he could also be a killer. And so that's, I think, where all of the seeds were sown and that's where her resentment comes from. And Toby, you're not wrong. She thinks he did it. She has a right to be mad. But her way of expressing that to me, I'm sorry, it was fucking bananas. I think it was bananas. But what, but what else? I mean, what other outlet does she have? You're right. Like, at what, what other point is she going to be able to make? She go on the Nancy Grace show. She could leave a bad review on on Amazon, <laughs> but that's but that's not confronting that's not confronting them, mm-hmm. you know. I yeah. mean that, that that's her one chance where she's got Rudolph and she's got Peterson and they're right there and she can give them the business. I yeah. mean that's the only time she's going to have it. They're, it's not like she they're going to like be like, okay, we'll meet with you and you can like yell at us. It's like that's her moment for fifteen years of frustration. Hashtag Team Candace for Toby. I'm hashtag. Yeah. Not team candy. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I'd like want to go out to dinner with her, or that I think like <laughs> really the, the, <laughs> the fact that she's. Why like, wouldn't you want to go out to dinner with her, Toby? <laughs> like, I don't think she's trying to get any sympathy for anything. In that case, she's just like, "Fuck it, I've put up with this for a long time. This is my moment. You guys are both here. There's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can say. You can't interrupt me. I'm gonna let you have it, and then I'm gonna be done." And, you know, I'm you think go she's done? And... Seriously, you think she's done? No. I, well, she's, she's never going to talk to them. She's never, she's never going to talk to them again. I mean, I, I think that's to, to me, that was that was what it was. It was an opportunity to confront them that she's not going to have again. She can go on Nancy Grace. She can go in front of the, the, the press or whatever. But it's it's not the same as having them as a captive audience where she can just rip into them. So I think for her, it's cathartic. She can go to dinner with you. <laughs> she can go to dinner with me and we could talk about it. You could not pay me a million dollars to go to dinner with that woman. You could, not, you could not pay me. And not even not just talking about Michael Peterson. I have a feeling that talking about with her about anything would be like a, a nightmare. I really do. And I, I feel for her. I do. I know this is caused from a place of pain. But there's something in her that is just very difficult for me to... Yeah, but if you if you thought Michael Peterson was guilty, and I don't this whole know thing if he's guilty, or he was, I don't know if he is or not. But suppose you were okay. Just just indulge me. Pretend that you watched that whole thing and you came away with the feeling that he's definitely guilty. Okay, there's no question about Rudolph is the hero, right? I mean, there's there's no question that he is portrayed as a sort of he's a great lawyer, honest, great crusading 
guy. If he's defending somebody you feel killed your relative, I think you'd feel hard done by, by, by the documentary. So it doesn't surprise me. I disagree. And I also think that I wouldn't be comfortable with Candace Samperini talking to Doug Evans that way. That's how crazy I thought it was. That's how, that's how bananas crazy I thought it was. All right, well, let's, let's move on because there's one final point I want to make before we review these last three episodes. The judge's comments at the end. Amazing. I thought the jury got the case fairly, which meant that they got the evidence that both parties wanted them to have. Um, Over the years, though, uh, you can see how with time and more examination of, of the evidence that did come in, how maybe it wasn't without prejudice. And so if you get a chance to do it over again, which I certainly would have gotten that chance, there were things that I would have, I would have changed. I think over time, the introduction of the, the death in Germany uh, was very uh, prejudicial to the defendant. I thought that all the homosexual evidence, however it was used, would have been unduly prejudicial to the defense and probably should not come into evidence. And I believe ultimately a fair and reasonable juror could make a different decision that was made by that first jury. I think I could have had a reasonable doubt. Why was it amazing? Well, it's the last voice. It's the only voice we haven't heard from in this whole saga. What what do you hear him saying in these last comments? I I, I hear him being the only person who had any bit of self-reflection. Over the mm-hmm. over the time, basically saying that what like he shouldn't have been convicted looking in the back first on place? this. Yeah, looking back on this, I would have done something. Who, who would you say I would have? I probably would have ruled differently. I would yeah. have ruled differently on the evidence in the Germany stuff and the homosexuality stuff. And uh, you know that was it was more it was more prejudicial than probative is yeah. what he he said. He can talk about it because the case is actually finally done. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Not some Doug Evans bullshit thing. We're like, well, it's. Didn't still you think that like I it was, was also devastating because like the whole thing was like there wasn't going to be another trial, but the judge is basically saying now that if there had been another trial, he would have yeah. ruled differently on all of these things. Yeah. yeah, that's what I took away. I was like, oh, yeah. I should have yeah. fucking taken that well, out. How about when he said that he 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 would have had reasonable doubt? Yeah. So, what mm-hmm. do you think, Laura, about the judge's remarks at the end? I thought it was amazing that they, the judge actually was willing to do an interview. Um, I thought that was really interesting because we don't, I don't think we see that very often. And the fact that, um, you know, he was willing to admit um, publicly that, yeah, I should have done things differently now that I'm looking back. You know, um, the homosexual stuff coming in, that was prejudicial. The Germany stuff coming in, that was prejudicial. I think it's rare that we see people in that position actually acknowledge in such a straightforward and honest way when they have made perhaps a mistake um, to own that. So I, I found it kind of refreshing. Do you think that he was saying that if there had been a new trial that Michael Peterson had a much better chance? I think yes and no. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, if you read between the lines, yeah, if he had a new trial. But I don't know. I I still say, you know, I'm glad it's over because even with a new trial, I just feel like you never know. So, Laura, quick question for you. Uh, the final scene of the documentary is uh, Michael Peterson <laughs> telling his Alexa to play for us, the audience, a Leonard Cohen song. And I understand that uh, you experienced that scene slightly differently than the rest of us may have. Yeah, it was. This was like really bizarre. So I was watching it and um, sitting in the living room watching this, and he's Uh-oh. like, 
Alexa, play my favorite song. Alexa, play Nobody Knows or Everybody Knows or whatever. And my Alexa in my kitchen turned on that song. (laughs) And so I had like surround sound in my house. Um, It was, that was bizarre. So tonight I was like, I'm going to play that song. I'm like, Alexa, play that song that Michael Peterson wanted to play last night. So we're playing it in the kitchen while I'm making dinner. And my son comes in, he goes, this sounds like a song about some 60-year-old man who lost his wife. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) got divorced. And I go, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) So, um, yeah. yeah. So All right. Maybe well, the, the Russians are following Michael Peterson now. I don't know. Let's do that thing we do. I think we all acknowledge that the original series, The Staircase, we all gave it a thumbs up. Let's talk about just these three episodes in isolation, shall we? Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down for this addendum to The Staircase series that they have uh, put out on Netflix. Three episodes in total. I'm not asking you to give thumbs up or thumbs down on the whole series. I'm not asking you to give thumbs up or thumbs down on one of these three episodes, but on all three as a package. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Thumbs down. Like I said, I fell asleep twice trying to watch the first two of the new three episodes, and I was like, what's wrong with me? Mm. Um, But it just, it dragged so badly. Mm. If you want to watch any of it, fast forward and watch the last, like, half an hour. Yeah. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for these final three episodes of The Staircase? Thumbs down. It was just so freaking incredibly boring. Yeah. I'm also going to give it a thumbs down. I thought it was incredibly boring. The last half hour was very exciting. And I would get the last half hour thumbs up. But as a total, three episodes, if you're having a choice to either watching none of it or some of it or all of it, I'd say watch some of it. But if you have to watch none or all, watch none. Thumbs down for me. What about you, Kevin? Uh yeah, I'm reluctantly a thumbs down. I was sort of, I would so be a thumb sideways if we did that. But I got to, I got to commit with a thumbs down. Uh, if you're gonna watch anything, watch the last episode. But it really doesn't bring anything new. It does kind of close it out, you know, the whole thing because. As far as what's canonical to this story is that it it was left with okay you're you get a new trial, so that it finally wraps up. I do. I think it would have been kind of cool if they talked a little bit about the owl theory. Hell yes. Only because it's something new and different. Right. It isn't just a bunch of people talking about And it's what people about talk something. about when they talk about this case. It is. And just the one passing reference to it. Some raptor coming out of the sky. For people who don't know anything about that, that was probably out of context. Probably, What does that even mean? I think it's... it's um, Disappointing? It's disappointing. And... Um, you know, I mean, in the end, we know what happens to to Michael Peterson. He goes back to his life, but it's a lot of it's a lot of baggage for him to carry around. But it'd be easy to carry that baggage around if he had a a Dagny Dover bag. <laughs> yes, it would. It would be very easy. Yeah, the uh, the legend tote is the ultimate day and night carry all. Dagny Dover is committed to keeping you organized while still looking good. Each bag fuses fashion and function to and support quality. you. In a live, it help you living smart. This is the next generation of bags designed with purpose and intent. Rebecca, you got a uh, Dagny Dover bag. Tell me a little bit about what you like about it. Oh my God, I have that legend tote. It's mm-hmm. great. It's beautifully made. It's very fancy looking, but very simple at the same time. And it's got purposeful pockets for my wallet, my phone, even my water bottle. It has that detachable key leash that I love for my work card mm-hmm. and my car key. And it has the uh, padded compartment for my laptop. It's basically holds everything I need, but I also look dope and fly while I'm carrying it around. Dagny Dover is offering our listeners 20% off their Good purchase deal. when you go to DagnyDover.com slash crime, crime and enter code CRIME. Don't crime. put off getting organized. 
This bag has changed Rebecca's life. Changed it. Check them out at DagneyDover.com slash crime. Crime. D-A-G-N-E Dover.com slash crime. Use our code crime to get 20% off your order. You will be happy that you did. What else you got, Kevin? So, you know, even if your home is not a crime scene, yeah. perhaps it needs to have a little bit of a makeover. Sure. Have you ever really like wanted like a, like a real interior designer to like come and <laughs> Every give you Every day of my damn life. Yes, but it's so expensive. But it's not if you use Havenly. Right. It's the hassle-free way to design space in your home just in time for summer. So what you can do is you, you basically start by taking the free Havenly style quiz. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to kind of learn, like, what is your style? What are you looking for? Contemporary? Yes. Something fashionable? Maybe, yes. you know, mid-century modern? What, what Classic. And uh, then you can take, like, all these beautiful designs based on your style and space and budget, work with Havenly's interior designers, and then you, if you can get the stuff that you love directly from them, just starting at $79 per room. Turn your Pinterest board into a reality. We did that. We got some advice from them about what to do with our dining room. Things looks It looks great right now. It does. Spectacular. Try Havenly today by visiting havenly.com slash crime, crime and get 25% off your design package. That's H-A-V-E-N. L-Y.com slash crime. Crime. For 25% off your design package, havenly.com slash crime. Crime. And now it's time for our favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, the, of week. the week. Investigators in Kentucky have arrested two state troopers and a county coroner for a plot to allegedly sell evidence in police custody on the black market. Authorities say the troopers stole more than a dozen rifles and shotguns and $10,000 worth of ammunition. The coroner is accused of transporting the contraband. The indictments say he also illegally transported moonshine, pain pills, and a pair of donated eyeballs. Mm. So panel, uh, I understand uh, the ammunition, the money, the moonshine, the pain pills. I really don't get the eyeballs, so I'm asking you, Laura Bricker, what do you think they were going to do with these stolen eyeballs? Uh, soup? No. <laughs> chowder? Chowder. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, chowder. Um, no, you know, the first thing I thought was, like, it reminds me of, uh, like, a Dan Brown book, and they need the eyeballs to scan to break in somewhere mm. and carry off a big heist or yeah, something. that's not bad. Toby Ball, what do you think was the plan for these stolen eyeballs? I figured they would get, like, that vagina in the plastic bag and, like, make a Christmas ornament or something. <laughs> the one from the keepers? The vagina wrapped in newspaper, the stolen eyeballs. Oh, God. Oh, what do you think, Kevin? What do you think was going on with these stolen eyeballs? I think they were going to give them to Laura Bricker after the eyeballs popped out of her head listening to (laughs) Doug Evans. That's very good. That's very good. All right, Laura Bricker, before we end the show this week, do we have a cat of the week? Um, Sort of. We have a nomination, and I was all over this. Um, So my friend Barbara Rumkunis nominates the skyscraper free climbing raccoon. Yes. In Minneapolis as the cat of the week because raccoons are basically cats anyway. They've been known to come into our house through the cat flap to eat from our cat's dishes (laughs) and our cats will stupidly sit there and let it happen. That's right. Also, NPR notes they caught it using cat food. So this, if you weren't following, there was a hashtag, hashtag NPR raccoon that was trending this week. As in Mary, PR from Minnesota Public Radio who captured this story and fabulous. By the way, the home of In the Dark covered this story Uh, with the kind of journalism you would expect. It's awesome. So yeah, I was climbing up the corner of the UBS Plaza and um, they finally caught it 
using cat food and a trap on the roof. It was out there all week, and I kept seeing these awful, sad little pictures, like like in a little window, like you know, and they couldn't open the windows to save this poor yeah, thing. Yeah. So it's safe now. It has been released at an undisclosed location. All ends well. Kevin, you know why that raccoon climbed that skyscraper? Because it's there. Because it was there. <laughs> exactly. All right, Laura Bricker, people want to reach out to you on Twitter and find your handle to submit their cat slash dog slash raccoon slash pet of the week nominations. How can they find you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if people want to tweet to you and tweet to you their support for your support of Candace from the staircase. How can they find you online? At Toby Ball on H. And Kevin, if people want to tweet to you about anything at all, especially to say hello to me, the one they really love, how can they find you online? Why don't you just cut out the middleman and go to Reb Lavoie. <laughs> That's right. Because you can find me on Twitter at Reb Lavoie. You can also find me on Instagram there. And for the record, Kevin's Twitter handle is at Kevin P. Flynn. I've changed it to MPR Raccoon. <laughs> you can also tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks and the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular old boring old school Facebook page. But no, really, join the group. You can support our podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will hear Toby's exclusive Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast and for other exclusive ad-free content including our amazing marriage podcast, Married with Podcast, you can also support the podcast by going to stitcherpremium.com slash crime. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and know that our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, where Kevin is currently sitting looking at me because he didn't write anything on the script for me to say as a joke after that line. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Toby, by the way, I caught about two seconds of your Facebook Live. And if you were going to say something in defense of that crazy Candace, like, I cannot talk to you right now. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I hate her. I hate her so much. It's on. All right. It's on. It's going to be one of them episodes. (laughs) Maybe I should refill my drink. (laughs) Here we go. Looking for a new fast-paced nail-biting thriller to fill the Dexter and Hannibal-shaped holes in your life? Check out Hangman, a new novel by Jack Heath. Hangman introduces a darkly mesmerizing FBI consultant whose skill at finding criminals comes at a price. Every time he saves a life, he takes one. Hangman is available on Audible and everywhere books are sold. Visit bookclubbish.com to learn more about Hangman by Jack Heath and start reading today. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.